the intensity of it is it's not just like yeah someone's talking crap about me behind my back it's like this is the same person that's gonna be next to me when we're getting shot at and like i have to depend on them and like i think that's one good thing about the military is like people have to work together and like a lot of people don't particularly care for each other but when like the mission comes in we do do our job but that doesn't mean that doesn't affect your like psyche and like how you how you deal with it when you get home because when you're deployed you kind of just it's like you live in an alternate universe where you just are trying to survive so the last step of most 12-step recovery programs is that you give back to your community and you find a way to like continue to like grow and give back and that's what the podcast is for me giving back to people giving them the ability to share their story listening to their story without judgment it's just a place where like we can share the honest truth of what it's like to be a woman in the military and so i think that's the most important step that you get to in your life journey is to find something that you're passionate where you're like giving back and helping people and that really helps me as a person that's amanda huffman and I'm Brian Felchuk. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Felchuk. I know we can all overcome and achieve because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers, welcome back to another episode of Do A Day. My guest today brings a totally different perspective than anyone who's been on the show so far. She's talking about PTSD, which is really important. And in and of itself, we've talked about aspects of this before, but not from this context, not from this position. So my guest is Amanda Huffman. She's a military spouse and veteran who served in the Air Force for six years as a civil engineer, including a deployment to Afghanistan. She traded in her role as an active duty officer in the military to be at home full-time with her two boys and follow her husband's military career. She's the host and creator of the Women of the Military podcast and wrote a book of the same name, sharing the stories of women who have served or continue to serve in the military. Amanda's really open about her journey and the things that led to her PTSD and most importantly for this show, what she did as a result of that, how she faced and dealt with the anger, the process she went through, and what brought her to her current work around giving a voice to the female veteran community. So we're going to jump into this episode, hear Amanda's story, what led to her own struggle with anger in response to what she went through, and why she's giving back in the way that she is. Great discussion with Amanda Huffman. Amanda Huffman, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I was saying before we recorded, um, your story is not unique to you. There's a lot of people who are going through something similar and will benefit from the message, but it's not one I've gotten to have a lot of folks in the show to talk about yet. So this is um, especially important in my eyes because it's a theme that needs more attention. Um, so I really appreciate you you know, being willing to come on the show and, and talk through your story because there's definitely people who need to be hearing this right now. Yeah, I found that when I tell my story, I connect with other people and I'm not so alone. And so it makes it easier to be open and honest and share my experience. Yeah. Um, give us a little taste of what you do today and then we'll, you know, we'll work through your story to get there. So my, I guess my full-time job is I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I also have a business and I started a podcast called Women of the Military in January of 2019. And so it's just over a year old right Congrats. now. I'm recording, And it has been an amazing adventure just to hear the stories of other women who've served in the military. And like I said in the beginning, when I was talking about not feeling so alone, being able to talk to other women veterans and hear their stories and realize like, oh, the way I'm feeling, I'm not the only one. Yeah. And I found that the women who share their stories are the same. They build community with others and they find out that they're not so alone. And so it's been a really exciting journey the last year and a half, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, I'm curious what, what sparked you deciding to, to put together your own show and, and to pull those stories together, or is that maybe that's part of 
what we're going to talk about today, but like, what was the impetus a year ago when you were like, I'm going to do my own thing? Well, my, I started blogging in like 2014 ish, like when I got out of the military and I, I guess I just had a desire to do something cause I was a stay at home mom and I had been working in the air force and I was like struggling with my identity and my purpose. And I kind of bounced around all over the place. And then in 2017, I did a series on deployments and I emailed all these people to try and get their stories. And I put out an open call on the internet and I thought I was going to get responses from mainly men because that's typically what you think of when, but in the end I got mainly women, like all women, except for one guy. And it kind of was like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm a veteran. I served in the air force. I deployed with the army. So I kind of have like this unique experience and there's women who want to share their stories, but they, I don't know if they don't feel comfortable talking to guys or they just, it's not a safe space. But when I started asking for their stories, they were like so excited to share. And so I was going to do the series as a blog series again in 2018, but we, my husband's still in the air force and we moved from California to Virginia and in that summer, and I just felt really overwhelmed. And I was like, well, maybe I won't do this. But yeah. I had all these stories. Yeah. And so I was like, well, podcasting's really new. Maybe I'll try that. And I thought since I had the stories I had collected, I would just interview those women. Yeah. But a lot of those women were anonymous and they didn't want to be interviewed. Okay. So I kind of like started from scratch and ended up taking those stories. And it's a book on Amazon, also called Women of the Military. And so I took those stories and made a book and then I started the podcast and I was going to read stories if I ran out of time. Like I was like worried, you know, but you don't have a guest and you're like, what do I do? But I ended up getting all these people signing up and I've actually like pre-recorded through the summer and it's crazy how many people want to share their stories and they keep signing up and I'm like, I'm only one person. I can only do so much. So. Well, that just goes to show how much of a need there was for it. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So take us back through your military experience. So you, you did say something that I'm not sure a lot of people think about, and this actually came up with an Olympian who I had on the show where you have this sort of identity crisis afterward. They call it the Olympic blues or the post-Olympic blues where it's like, what do I do now? Because right. every – like every waking moment and much of your sleeping moments were completely focused on this one thing. And in your case, your case, like, you know, you could argue being an Olympian is very existential, but literally your survival is, is a big part of your job and the survival of the people around you, which takes it to a whole other level. And then you leave and that must leave you with some pretty strong feelings. I don't know in the military community if that's talked about a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's know, something I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. I think it is now, but it also, it's kind of like you don't really know what's coming. I think the Olympians Mm. probably feel so. You don't know like what's coming until like, I think of when people told me what it was like to be a mom and they would say stuff and I was like, they must be exaggerating or like, they must like, they don't know what they're talking, but they were parents. So obviously they knew, but it's like they were speaking a language that I couldn't understand until like I became a mom and with veterans, I think that we we either we weren't talking about it or I wasn't looking for it, but Mm -hmm. I know there's stuff out there now because I've like gone through it and like, I'm talking about it and I'm connected with people, but it is something that I've found a lot of veterans deal with because it is like, I devoted 10 years, essentially six years and then four years of my college training to become an officer. So like 10 years and I'm still connected because my husband's in the military. And so like, there'll be another transition when we're like, totally. And and so it's, it's like you, you kind of like can't prepare for it, but you can try to, but I think that they're trying to do stuff, but it's also like, just like becoming a mom. You can't really know what emotions you're going to go through or what your kid's going to be like until you, have that kid and then you have the next one and it's like totally different but i think that's like the hard part is like you don't really realize how much of an impact it is in your life until it's gone yeah oh um 
I just say you talk about that that kids moments like everyone explains to you what the sleep deprivation's like and as an intelligent person you can understand that you're like oh yeah that's going to be I've I've had trouble sleeping before and then when you're actually in it right. you're like I had no idea what the words right. they were speaking even truly meant um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know one lady told me she's like you just get used to it I'm like this is not normal <laughs> and then I was like oh yeah you just get used to it and you yeah. survive yeah yeah we all make it through eventually but um <laughs> it's it's never what we presumed it to be with all the people telling us and whatever um okay so take me back so you got into the military starting from was ROTC or, or something to that effect in undergrad yeah. Yeah, so I started ROTC, which is the Reserve Officer Training Corps, my sophomore year of college. I found out about it my freshman year. I was looking into enlisting into the Air National Guard, and a bunch of my friends were, like, enlisting, and then one guy I knew was, like, being activated and going to Afghanistan. And then my one friend, he was, like, he took me out to lunch, and he was, like, when I'm in the Air Force, you're going to have to salute me. And I was, like okay. (laughs) I didn't know anything about the military. And so then he told me about ROTC and there was an open house in like April. And I think this was like March-ish timeframe. And so that April I went to the open house and I was like, well, this is awesome. Like I can try out this military thing and like not commit to it. I love this. And so I started ROTC my sophomore year and I just loved every minute of it so can you can you just talk a little bit about like why were you was there something in you that gave you that interest in the first place like do you have a family history in the military or why would you why were you even considering it or looking into it were you like what was going on that led you to be like let me look into this so september 11th happened my senior year of high school and i think that has because i have my my grandfather served during world war ii and my uncles, my great uncle served in Vietnam, but I didn't know that. Uh, and so, like, I didn't really have any, like, military connection. Yeah. And, like, I was in Fresno, California, and there's an Air National Guard base. And, like, I never noticed the F-16s flying overhead until <laughs> I was in the Air Force. And I'm like, oh, they're, like, flying overhead all the time. And, like, I just, it wasn't part of, like, my world. And But it was September 11th, and then all my friends, the group of friends, like, almost every single one either enlisted or tried out ROTC. And it was just kind of like where I was. And, um, and just, I think September 11th, going back to that kind of was like a day that kind of opened my eyes to the military. Yeah. Why do you think it spoke to you so much? Like once you got in and you were kind of like, this is, you know, wow. And, and feeling a connection to it. What do you think it was? It's kind of weird to say, because like I said, I had no like military history, but I found like what I was like looking for, like my whole life, like I found a purpose. I found a group of friends that like believed what I believe they wanted to serve their country. And it was just kind of like I had never been in a place where I felt so like understood and connected to like what I was supposed to be doing. I always felt like lost, like in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just kind of like floated through and I didn't have a sense of purpose. That's really interesting. And it, I mean, it's beautiful that you found that and to find the community around you that when you're all feeling that it, it just amplifies that purpose right. so much more. Um, all right. So I, I cut you off. Um, okay. <laughs> so you're in ROTC, you're, you're loving it. Um, did you, do you have to commit to one branch of the military or another as you go through the program or is it like, I, I don't know how it works. I didn't even know what ROTC stood for much as I knew what it was. So I'm learning as you talk through this. So each branch of the military has their own version of ROTC. And at the college I was at, there was army ROTC and air force, but we were totally separate. So mm. you could try out, you could probably try out both of them at the same time. I, already knew that I wanted through looking into enlisting I had talked to the Navy and the Army and the Air Force and I knew the Air Force was where I wanted to be Uh, but each branch of the military has their own program it's not like everybody does the same thing and then you like split out at like your junior year it's each branch has their own program because the culture of each military branch is so different it would be really hard to put everyone together but it might be smart because then people might end up in the right place yeah but So I did Air Force ROTC, 
and we did some like exercises or like we teamed up with the army ROTC cadets and that was like when I really learned I didn't want to be in the army Hmm. and so yeah so it's but the best part about it is you can try it out so I did a year and then I got on scholarship and then once you get on your scholarship and your contract then you have a commitment but you can like try out the branch, the branch, the military, and see if it's like a good fit for you. And mm. then if it's not, you can be like, well, that was fun. And I'm just going to go yeah. to college now. Okay. So. so you tried it out, you committed, you did the scholarship. So that's how you go through the rest of college. Yes. Did you get deployed while you were in school or no, or activated, I guess would be the term? No, you're a cadet. And okay. you, um, you don't have, the only requirement you have is you have to take a course um, so like each year you take a different, like one year's military history, one year's like ethics and leadership. And then the last year's kind of like preparing you for active duty. And then you also have a two hour leadership lab, which is run by the cadets. And so the senior cadets are kind of like the officers and then the junior cadets are like the enlisted members and they, the senior cadets plan everything out. And then we also had P- PT, which is physical training, like twice a week. And so we had that, I think twice a week, twice a week or three times a week, something like that. And it, so it was kind of like this like pseudo military. It wasn't like active duty, but it did prepare you for like what active duty would be like in a way. Yeah. It's a start. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens, what happens after ROTC? So when you graduate from college, you commission into the military, whatever branch you're serving. And so I commissioned into the Air Force. And depending on your job and the needs of the Air Force, you have between your graduation date, uh, six months, I think, before you can go active duty. I went active duty like right away. I think I started, I went to Alabama for training and I was in California. And so I drove from Alabama to to Cal- from California to Alabama by myself when I was like 22 years old, which is like, I can't even believe I did that. That was crazy. And so I went active duty within like a month of my commissioning. And I spent the first two months at a training for lieutenants. And then I drove back to New Mexico and started my career. Oh. Was your husband, I mean, your current husband, like, I don't know if you guys were married yet, but was he in your life yet or had you guys yeah, met? Yeah, we, we met in ROTC and okay. we got married my senior year and we're able to get stationed together. So he was already active duty in New Mexico. He graduated a year before me. Okay. And so we were able to get stationed together by miracles. Okay. And he was in New Mexico and then I joined him. Cool. So. All right. So you're in New Mexico, part of the Air Force. What happens? So I was a civil engineer. That's what my background is in. And so civil engineers in the Air Force maintain the base. And like the F-117 was retiring. And so when I first got there, there was a lot fighter. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So we got to see it. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And the F-22 was coming to Holloman. And so we had a ton of work because they were re- Re- retrofitting i could talk retrofitting all the hangars from the f-117 to the f-22 and then there was runway repair and like the germans were there so the they had the tornados were there flying and then it was just like all kinds of construction and like a really cool place to be yeah. as like a 22 23 year old doing like huge engineering projects yeah. and not just like doing the plans, but my job was to like go out and inspect them. And so it was really cool. And at the same time, our unit got assigned to this like emergency response task force. And so we were there to help as the federal government, if the, if like a state needed help. And so the one thing that I did was I was activated for hurricane Ike. And Mm -hmm. so I went to Florida when the hurricane was coming and we even were going to like maybe evacuate out of Florida because at that point they didn't know exactly where it was going to go, but it ended up going to Texas and the Texas was like federal government. We don't need your help. So we kind of just hung out and two weeks of like working nights and 
being there to answer the phone and they were like we got this and so that was kind of like a cool experience of like getting to do something like as a active duty person for the United States in kind of a weird role where yeah. if they needed us they would have called us Ike was pretty horrible Galveston was like wiped out completely yeah. um and so I wor- I've worked in insurance for a couple of decades and uh people don't realize this Ike actually went all the way up to Ohio in terms of damage. So it's like basically the entire middle of the country was impacted by it. Um, Texas, obviously like, you know, the worst of it. And that's where a lot of the conversation around the damage was, but it it was a huge event, you know, obviously uh, Katrina and, and Rita got a lot of attention later. um, But Ike did a ton of ton of, or earlier, I should say um, Ike did a ton of damage. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, we were doing that, and that kind of like shielded us from deployments. And then they decided the Air Force switched our unit um, and mo- made it a Red Horse unit, which a Red Horse unit does. We don't need to talk about that, but they do like cool stuff. And so they were kind of better equipped. And cool of, stuff like, you can't talk about. Well, Get not it. that I can't talk about. It's just kind of like complicated. Okay. Explain. Um, Red Horse is an acronym, and I have no idea what it stands for. Right. But it's like it's like the elite level of civil engineering. They like go out and do the project, so it made more sense for them to be in response than a base level that didn't have the capabilities um, to do what needed to be done. And so, right after we got switched, like every lieutenant was getting like picked up with the deployment, and I got tasked to Afghanistan wow. with the army on a provincial reconstruction team. And so the Air Force loans out, especially civil engineers, because the Army civil engineers are more, they're not technically like degreed engineers. They do an engineering training and they're, the mission of the Army is to move mm-hmm. forward. So they're like making like temporary bridges and like clearing pathways so that they can get through. And that's what the Army civil engineers like focus are. And they use the Army Corps of Engineers to do all their like construction projects. But <clears throat> for the Air Force, we don't move. We like make a base, have a runway, mm-hmm. and then we maintain it. So all the civil engineers in the Air Force have a civil engineering or architect or some sort of engineering degree. And so the Air Army really needed people in overseas to come and like maintain the base. Mm-hmm. And then I got to do it wasn't maintaining the base. We were out uh interview not interviewing. We were out with the local people in Afghanistan and so I was in Kapisa province and we had twenty six or twenty three projects. We were doing roads, bridges, retaining walls, schools, government buildings, and anything that the Afghan people wanted and needed. And so I was working directly with the Afghan contractors and some Afghan engineers to get the projects created and and we would drive all over Afghanistan in our Humvees and well, I guess we we're in a hum- Humvees we we're in MRAPs but in our up armored vehicles. Yeah. So. so what happened? So I did get shot at one time and I guess that was traumatic but not as traumatic as the people on my team there was it was a weird mix because it was air force and it was army it was army active duty air force active duty army national guard army reserves and then there was another group of like civilians on the base that weren't connected to the prt and then there were other army people so there were all these people we were at a little tiny uh, forward operating base and there was a lot of team dynamics so we were inside the wire is what we say when we're on the base and it was the betrayal and hurt from those people inside the base who spread lies about me and my teammate and just caused a lot of like friction and dynamics that led up to like a lot of anger and resentment and made it really hard for me to get over my deployment so it was going overseas and like seeing the people of afghanistan definitely changed me and like changed my perspective on like the world and like what we can do and that sort of thing but i guess i didn't mind as much being shot at by the afghans because like we were in their country and we were like we were at war and like that's why we were there but to have the dynamics of having people that i trusted 
really hurt me was that was where a lot of my that was where my issues came from it wasn't from the deployment and what people would think of because we only got shot at one time and we were going to inspect a school and we were like halfway between the school and the trucks and they just shot at us and then we ran back to the trucks and so it was like a big adrenaline rush but everyone was safe and it wasn't no one even got injured so it was not very traumatic but the betrayal and hurt that was the part that was that was the hard part can you talk some more about that let's what what were they doing or what were they saying so the one one of the guys was very good at manipulating people and he was trying to get me to do something to help him with whatever project he was working on and I went along with his like what he wanted me to do and he would be like don't tell anyone you're doing this and then finally I was like no this is I'm not doing I'm not gonna do like this is I guess about halfway through I'm not gonna do whatever you want me to do and so he and this other girl they started spreading lies about me and the other civil engineer. And there were other people affected. We were just the two that, like, the main. And one day, my coworker, she went into the office at, like, 5 a.m. And she heard them come in because they actually shared, like, an office wall with us. And it was just, like, a wood wall, so it wasn't, like, a real wall. And they came in after she was already at work, and they didn't know she was there. And they told their boss all these not true things about us and she heard everything because she like crouched down and listened and she and then she told us what they said and so then a lot of people didn't trust us a lot of people thought that we were like like idiots like there was the french uh we had a french uh group there and they gave out medals at the end of the deployment and we didn't get anything and like we were officers and that was kind of like being snubbed like in uh. because of the way the dynamics of awards work that was that was more an army culture thing but like we didn't get any awards we didn't get any recognition for the work we had done working with the french and doing joint missions and it was just it was just mainly like them spreading rumors and like telling people that the work that we had done was like not good and like it it just caused a lot of like and then on top of that whenever they needed things from us they would be like oh we need your help yeah (laughs) and then we would try and like help them because a it was our job and so we like didn't really have a choice but we would just like be polite and do and then they would spread lies about like the work we had done and so it was just like a lose-lose situation and really it was just really hard to deal with and I tried when I got home to just pretend like it never happened and that like ate away at me for a long time so when when was this all going down and and then coming back and being left with that feeling it yeah it was like the last three months of the deployment so I was there for nine months and it was like the last three months when it was like really bad what year was this 2010 10 year anniversary so when you came back, so that's basically the rest of your time there is this feeling of like people talking about you, not trusting you, treating you like garbage, yet using you, yeah. all the manipulation. And it must be a lot stronger because you all depend on each other to live. Right. Like not just like, oh, I need you to make the food so I can eat. Like literally your lives are at risk every day and that that interdependence is so critical. Right. Um, so I imagine it's more than like for anyone who's like, oh yeah, someone at work was, you know, talking smack about me. Like it's not a big deal. It's not the same kind of situation. Right. Yeah, you're exactly. That's the, like the intensity of it is it's not just like, yeah, someone's talking crap about me behind my back. It's like, this is the same person that's going to be next to me when we're getting shot at. And like, I have to depend on them. And like, I think that's one good thing about the military is like you do like people have to work together and like a lot of people don't particularly care for each other. But when like the mission comes in, we do do our job, but that doesn't mean that doesn't affect your like psyche and like how you, how you deal with it when you get home. Cause when you're deployed, you kind of just, 
it's like you live in an alternate universe where you just are trying to survive. Mm. And so you just push through things. You get used to the fact, like, when we got rocketed, I I could hear based on the sound, I knew it was incoming and not outgoing, which I feel is crazy because it was the only time our base got rocketed, but I could tell because it, we had, had done a lot of outgoing. I knew that the sound wasn't going out. And so yeah. it's like, to that degree, I could hear the whistle and I knew exactly what was happening. And like the alarm didn't go off. And I was like, oh, I must have been wrong. And then like 30 minutes later, the alarm went off. And I was like, see, I knew exactly what that was. And so that was kind of like, you get in tune to like such detail of like things that I don't know if I could do that now. I'm hoping I never have to worry about it. But yeah. the fact that like I could, I knew exactly that there was something different about that sound. And like you just, you know, like next mission, you something bad could happen. Danger yeah. is there, and so it's you have to cope with it to get through it. Yeah, and of course you're not, you're not starting from a place of like everything's chill and copacetic. You've already sort of like on a regular basis, you're right. using all of your faculties to operate and be okay with the severity of everything around you and the the level of consequence. So it's not like you were just totally fine and someone did something and you have all this extra resiliency left to cope with it and not, right. not react to it. Like you're already starting from being on the edge. Right. Um, and that went on for, that was nine months. Yeah. The, yeah. It was a four months of training and nine month deployment. So it was like, I left November 6th and then I got home on November 1st. And like roughly when in the deployment did this all start? hitting you um it must have been after so in june i did my you get to go on r and r so you get to spend two weeks at home my husband and i went to new zealand which was amazing That's cool. but it was after that so like somewhere between like july to october okay. and i know in like october was the month we went home it was really bad and i even found emails when i was like because I'm trying to do stuff with like the 10 year anniversary yeah. and I found emails from my friend and she was like, so-and-so did this and Ugh. I'm trying not to. And it was like in October, like September, October, it was like the height of it. And we just, we just wanted to get home to get away from that. Yeah. It's just four months of living through that with increasing intensity, not decreasing. Yeah. Where was your husband? Was he deployed with you or was he not? No, he was uh, at home station and he actually, add more excitement to my life he got selected for a program that we had both applied for and he started his master's in ohio so he moved from oh from new mexico to ohio and bought a house while wow. i was in afghanistan and that was like in august so that was like kind of happening at the same yeah. time too so i had that stressor yeah i came home i had to go back to new mexico and then a month later i went to ohio but my husband had left like a box of stuff behind and like my house was gone. And wow. so, yeah. Yeah. All kind of. Yeah. So it was you. like all these things happening. I didn't even think about how that was going on too. Yeah. And home is where like you can recenter. And right? so you came back to nothing. A box of stuff. Yeah. It's someone else living in my house. Yeah. And the house that's now yours, you have no attachment to connection to, we're in a part of it becoming yours. Um, all these things are things that, you know, going back to kind of what, what you and I were saying before recording, like they're all things that people be like, oh, you're fine. You just deal with it. You just get through it. Oh, that's life. And yeah, it is really easy to say that, but you're not serving yourself by ignoring any of what you're feeling or invalidating it. So talk to us about that process and, and the, because that was kind of the initial way of dealing with everything you were feeling, right? It's like, oh, I'm not there anymore, so get over it, or like yeah. just push ahead. Or the thing you said to me before we were recording that blew me away is like, well, I'm not going to kill myself, so it's okay. And it's like, if that's the bar, right? That it's like, if that's the only thing that makes it not okay, it's too late. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not suicidal. So, well, that's like, and I think that's kind of the message that you get, like when you need help. It's like, well, are you worried about, because that's what the military asks you, like, have you thought about killing yourself? And I'm like, no, I don't. But to see, like, the way my life is now after getting help yeah. for over two years, and I would say the podcast is continually getting me help, but those, like, it's like I was in a dark room, yeah. and I didn't realize, like, someone explained to me, like, she was 
she went through postpartum depression and she was like it was like i woke up one day and the lights were on and i feel like that's the way like it's a perfect way to describe it it's like you're in a dark room but you've been in that dark room so your eyes have kind of adjusted and you're just like well this is the way life is and then once you like you either your postpartum depression goes away or like you get help and like it's like oh it was really dark and I was in a dark place, but I didn't realize it because I'd been in that place for so long. That was just my normal. And so like to think back of like, I couldn't see how much help I needed because I just, that was my, that was my baseline. And yeah. like, I really, the way she described it, I was like, that's kind of the way my life was. I felt yeah. the same way. And it wasn't, mine wasn't like a one day thing. Cause it wasn't depression where it went away. It was, dealing with the anger and the resentment and yeah coming back to normal well so so talk to us about that journey coming back and not dealing with it leading up to actually when you start to deal with it and how yeah i wish i could say you know like took me like six months but i didn't start getting help until after my kids were born my first son was born which was so i came home in 2010 he was born in 2013 and then i didn't get help until like 2016 so you layered on a lot more stress and demands and reasons why there's no room or space for you to go get help because now this child needs me too yeah and my my big issue with uh, my getting help was I would get really angry and I like didn't have a way I would like jump past the point of reason and I would just like go crazy. And like, I called my sister crying was like, I can't be this person. I can't be this mom because he's like a two year old and like, he shouldn't have to live with this crazy person. And so I, the first time I tried to go, I started a program called celebrate recovery, which is kind of like Al-Anon or AA, but it's a faith-based but it's the 12 steps. It's the same thing. And so the first time I tried to go, I like got in the car and then I like talked myself out of it. I was like, I'm fine. And then I had a really bad week the next week. And so the next week when it was time to go, I just got in the car and like, I started driving. I like didn't allow myself to think because I knew Mm. that the last time I had like, Oh, I'm okay. Cause I came back in and my husband's like, I thought you were going to that thing and I was like no I don't need it I fine and so then the next week I didn't allow that like self-talk to even start until I was like already halfway there and then I was like well I'm already halfway there I might as well just go and then once I went then I was like it was kind of like I started to see the light because I like couldn't stop going back that became like a priority every Friday night I would go to the meetings and they would talk about one of the 12 steps and then we would have a sharing time and that's where like I started to share like how I felt inside and the first time I went and I did my sharing you have like three minutes to talk and I think I talked for like maybe 10 seconds and then I just started crying because I had finally found a place where like other people were sharing about like deep stuff and like I just felt like I had a place where I could share what I was feeling and what I was struggling with and not have to worry about being judged and that sharing and hearing other people and seeing other people's successes and other people's failures really helped me. And I did that for over two years until we moved from, yeah. So. Wow. It was like five, six years of a pent up need to bring this out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I that must have been just such a huge like ex- exhaling. Right. Where's your husband in this whole journey and like your anger and all that? Like what was his experience or his reaction to it? Like how was he playing or not playing into that? So I kind of always have had like anger issues, but um and like that's part of like how I was raised was like people dealt with stuff with anger. Yeah. Um, but in my parents' case, they would both yell at each other. But my my husband would like hug me and I would get so mad at him. I was like, no, I'm bad. Yeah. But and 
So, like, he would try and, like, help me calm down. And hugging someone when they're yelling is, like, the most effective way to get them to calm down, even if they don't like it. And so he was, like, he... I think he just kind of was like, he didn't really know what to do. Cause I know in his family origin, they didn't like talk about emotions. They just kind of like suppress stuff. So he kind of was just like, well, this is the way she is. And he would like try and help me calm down. Yeah. Um, but he never really like, he never pushed me to get help, but he never like stopped me from getting help. He just kind of was like, he just didn't really understand like the emotions I was dealing with. And so he, he even now, like I don't, he doesn't really talk about, it's hard to get him to talk. He's very introverted about his emotions and like um, how he feels about, I know that he's happier now (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's a lot better, but he would just try and like get me to stop yelling and, then I would stop because he could get me to calm down and then we wouldn't really talk about it. And so that probably was like part of why, you know, I stayed stuck because that was like the cycle that we were in where we would just like calm down and then not talk about it again and not even like in a calm, whatever, because usually when I, I would say almost always when I would like, spin out of control it was something that was irrational and so it wasn't like we were in a fight and there was a disagreement and like he even knew like what I was mad about he just knew I was mad about something and I was saying stuff that didn't make any sense and so he was like so I don't even think he knew how to like come back and be like you said that you were frustrated about this because what I said didn't even make any amount of sense yeah yeah so as you've gone through this journey, what what do you think has been the most helpful to you? And I always believe like we're not done. It's not like we're fixed and we're good. So what what are you doing to continue on the path? So the last step of most 12-step recovery programs is that you give back to your community and you find a way to like continue to like grow and give back. And that's what the podcast is for me. Mm. So that's like my 12th step of like, giving back to people, giving them the ability to share their story, listening to their story without judgment and like creating a platform where they feel like they can share. I've had people share about being raped in the military. I've had people talk about bad leadership experiences and like there's good stories too, but like it's just a place where like we can share the honest truth of what it's like to be a woman in the military. And so that's why I'm able to like, stay where I am and like I think that's the most important step that you get to in your life journey is to find something like you can have a job but to find something that you're passionate where you're like giving back and helping people and that really helps me as a person I love that Uh, both the passion and the giving back um that that's really great so you've got your podcast um it was interesting to me. You didn't say I had anger management issues. You said I've all I always have had like inclusive of now. So admitting that like yeah, it's not just you went to this program for a while and now you're giving back and so you're done. Like this is something you continue to face and work on and deal with. Do you still yeah. go to meetings? I don't go to meetings partly because we moved and uh, my husband's job he travels a lot and so uh. he gets home on Fridays and then like. So then it's like really hard and I, I can, like, I haven't had a spin out of control moment. I can't remember the last time. Like I yeah. still get angry cause I'm a person. I, yes. when I first and started okay. going, yeah, when I first started going to recovery, I was like, okay, if I never get angry again, I'll be okay. Yeah. And then I read a really good book on anger and about how anger like spurs you to take action. And anger is like an emotion. That's like a good thing. It's just how we react to our anger and how we use it. And that was kind of a healing thing because I was trying to like, when I first started going, I was like, I'm just not going to get mad at my kid ever. Um, which that's not possible <laughs> if you have any age, but like, it's just like, it's it's exhausting to have kids and like so to put that kind of pressure on myself to like it was putting pressure to like essentially set setting myself up for failure because I was gonna have anger but then I read the book about like how anger spurs you to make 
like how it spurs you to like you get angry when your kid's gonna touch the stove because you don't want them to get hurt and like that anger is good but you don't like berate your kid you like tell them like this is why we don't do this and so learning to like channel my anger and use it to like for good and using that emotion that I feel and right I can stop and feel how my body is feeling and that's like the biggest thing if you can like feel how your body's feeling and a lot of times your body's reacting to a past situation and so if you can feel what your body's feeling and you can like breathe and like say this is what's happening and not and a lot of times I have to say it out loud which sounds really funny but I have to be like this is not like I got stuck in traffic and I like I was on doxycycline and it like brought me back to Afghanistan because that's what you take and my body remembered that and so that was like a huge trigger and I didn't realize it but I got stuck in traffic and there was like I couldn't move (laughs) and I was like freaking out Mm. and my boys were in the back of the car and I was like mommy is freaking out and this is why and I knew what was going on but I couldn't like I couldn't stop like the anxiety that was building up so I had to like tell them like I'm freaking out this is why this is how like I'm trying to deal with it but we're in a car we're not moving and like it's taking me back to like all my training where you're not supposed to be in a car and not moving like and so and it was and I had had a similar experience where I'd taken medication and had an anxiety and so I knew immediately like well, it took me like two days, but I was like, what was causing me to go crazy? And so I went and I like reflected on like what was causing me and realized like if I ever get prescribed doxycycline, I would be like, I can't take that medication because it mentally takes me back to a place where I can't like weird stuff was happening all week. And I was like, what is going on? And then I finally put two and two together. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of like you have to like, really be in tune and I started meditating um this year and it's all that's what meditation is really good about like finding your focus breathing and listening to your body yeah I was gonna say I mean what what you did in the car then that's a a forcing mechanism for mindfulness Mm -hmm. like you sort of narrate the situation which allows your uh, your lizard brain reaction to slow down so your rational brain can step in and start to piece the puzzle together and regain control. Right. Um, which, which is super effective and, and meditating only enhances your ability to do that by you know, yeah. rewiring. Um, so what, what would you leave people with, you know, regardless of what sort of PTSD they're facing? And I think people hear military and PTSD and they're immediately thinking like IED rockets, something like that. And actually, what you're talking about is very different from that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't take away from the effect of it. Living in that pressure cooker and then throw one more thing in there um, for a, an extended period of time, adding into it the whole survival dependence that you all have. Right. Um, it it is pretty um, it, it's pretty traumatic and you know hits your brain and the way you're thinking and and will last with you. And a lot of us face situations like that, whether it's exactly the same as yours or not. And um, yeah, I'm curious if there's one thing you would tell people like as, as the first step to keep them going forward. The first step is to like recognize that you have a problem and to know that it's okay to not be okay. I think a lot of times, especially with like social media, everyone's like, I've got my stuff together. Everything's perfect. And it's okay to not okay and like even for me like you were mentioning like everyone thinks ptsd ieds like combat tours and like for me it was really hard because like i didn't have that yeah that was like one of the big reasons it was so hard to like admit that i had a problem because you can like you can compare all day yeah like someone else's story and be like well my story isn't this and but it doesn't matter if you are struggling with something like get help yeah it'll change your life like and and like I said when you're in that like dark room you're used to it so you think it's normal and then you like get help and you're like whoa yeah my life was not normal like this isn't how you have to live and there is hope that you can you can change who you are and like I I can't believe like who I am now compared to who I was and like to think about like 
how that's going to affect my children's lives because I'm able to like express to them even in that like situation where I got stuck in the car and was like I didn't yell at them I yelled at like I was like yelling at myself but explaining to them and then when we got out of the traffic I was like this is why mommy's freaking out because yeah. I went to and so like just to be open and honest and so like they know like I have a struggle and not for them to be afraid of like what's going on just to put like a safe space but I think it's really important to to get help and to like not worry about like what other people are dealing with and if it's worse because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I love that you said that. That's a point I make consistently on the show about it. it's not a competition. Right. And that doesn't diminish like don't use that as as an excuse to diminish what you've been through or diminish what someone else has been through and judge mm -hmm. them for it. Like our lives are only relevant to ourselves. It doesn't matter whether it's better or worse or whatever interpretation you want to put on it. It just matters that you're going through it and you're feeling something about it and that's okay. Yeah. Um, awesome. I really appreciate your honesty and, and, you know, like I said at the beginning, the fact that you're speaking your truth and, and that you were willing to join me for the show today, it means a lot. Um, I was curious one quick thing, and then I want to ask where people can get more about you, but you mentioned this book on using like the good side of anger. Do you remember what it was called? It's called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion, and it's by Gary Chapman. Oh, cool. I think he's the five love language guy. Yeah. But it it just is really good to talk about like how anger is a good thing, and it's all about how you react. And it just, yeah, because I really, when my friend gave me this book, I was like, I never get angry again. And then I read this. And then my husband read it too. And so it was, and we got to talk about that. So that was really good. Cool. And five love languages or five languages of love. Like that's an amazing concept yeah. and very useful too. Um, where can people find out more about you and listen to the podcast and get connected with your work? So you can go to my blog, which is airmantomom.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on airmantomom.com is my like handle and and then my podcast is women of the military and you can find it on your favorite podcast app and there's a link to it on the website so if you go to airman.com airman to mom.com slash podcast you can find all the info and i will link to all of those so people can get there super easily and i'll link to the book as well your book and uh, anger taming a powerful emotion that we mentioned today so people can get all those things super easy um amanda thank you for joining me today and for sharing all this uh, i really really appreciate it are you uh you ready to help me close the show out awesome today is a new day go out and do it take that first step in getting help so that you can live your life to the fullest that's beautiful thank you so much thank you it's really quite a story and when you hear someone's been in the military and they have PTSD and you hear how some of the stories start for her, you're expecting it's because of something in combat. And, you know, while I'm sure getting rocketed and shot at and all the other things that Amanda went through were pretty difficult, obviously, it's so interesting and something I think brings this 